1: Buffalo, what's next? Uh, We're going to take a look at the impact of recent swatting incidents, not only here in western New York, across New York State. And actually, it's something of an epidemic uh, across uh, the nation as well. Swatting incidents. This is a, a situation where somebody calls in with a threat, in many cases now as if this threat is coming from inside the school, perhaps an active shooter. We're just kind of generalizing here of some of the recent incidents that we've heard here in Western New York. Here to take a look, though, and help us kind of guide through how this is impacting students and how we can help students, Cambria Daniels from Best South. Thanks for joining us.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having us.
1: Cambria is the uh, uh, project director for the mental health awareness training, MHAT, as well. So, yeah, this is uh, something that you're deep into. Um, South Park High School was among the ones that had a a swatting incident recently. Lockport was one that also was very high profile. Take us through, if best you can then, after an incident like this happens, How do you come into play?
0: Sure. So um, I am fortunate enough to go all throughout Erie and Niagara County with mental health awareness trainings. Um, Think trauma-informed care, safe spaces, discipline with dignity. Um, I'm also triple certified in the mental health um, first aid, uh, which is different than psychological first aid because that's, we're talking disaster, right? Mental health first aid is a certification for the adult that maybe works with adults to recognize. The early signs and symptoms of developing mental health challenges in other adults. Youth mental health first aid is for the adult that works with adolescents specifically. That's kind of where we're coming into play here. Um, So, any teacher, you know, any layperson, really, if you're Working with young adults, um, our adolescents, you really want to take a look at that. That's a certification for the adult. And there's also a teen, teen mental health first aid, and that's for youth. So um, we know statistically our teenagers would rather speak with each other when they're dealing with mental health challenges. So that's a certification for the teen. Um, that type of professional development really helps teachers wrap their minds around, hey, maybe I'm noticing some behaviors with uh, the teenagers after the fact. Um, but we have to be allowed the time to go in and provide those trainings because they are a three-year certification for the adult learner. Um, in the instance of South Park, that's one of our sites. So I am in a school-based department of best self-behavioral health. South Park happens to be one of our sites. We have an extended learning program there. We are also the CBO partner with the Saturday Academy Initiative. So think uh, select Saturdays open to the entire public, not just the youth of that school. Um, and for a small am- amount of time, say 10 to 1, where we have something for everyone. We have free breakfast and free lunch. Um, we provide workshops from littles, middles to bigs, etc. cetera. Um, but we're a thread in that school. So when stuff like this happens, we want to debrief. We want to maybe push into a classroom and say, hey, let's have a conversation about this. How are you feeling? Um, Restorative practices is a term, and our staff are trained in restorative practices. So we turn that entire classroom into a community circle where everyone, the teacher, maybe there's a teacher's aide, we can all have these open and honest conversations about what really happened here, how are we feeling, and what additional supports are needed.
1: Not sure how much you can tell me, but in terms of what has happened at South Park High School since then Uh, how active have you needed to be right and I'm sure obviously the teachers the administrators they also there's got to be concerns for them as well.
0: Absolutely. Um. So I personally have not been able to you know jump in, but I'm sure I'll be called upon. Right. Um. Again, we're already there Monday through Friday and some Saturdays. So with the extended learning program, for example, there's opportunity to you know speak with those kids in a small, more small, intimate setting to really um, understand where their headspace is at and provide additional supports, think coping skills, etc. Um. And then the admin know that we're there to support them as well. So if there are professional development hours, then we can come in and provide um, trainings to help them kind of process what is going on. They have their own parameters when we're talking like lockdown, shelter right. in place, right? Um, shut that's out. separate, obviously. That is separate, you. right? And that's but at just, the
1: same time, I would think there's also that concern, though, of being able to set up a tone a kind of a collective yes. psychology inside the room. It must be very difficult, obviously very difficult. Well, for
0: yes and no, so um, we try to do that already. We okay. live in the realm of early intervention prevention, so there is a social-emotional coordinator there. Think of um, bridging the gap between your standard student support team, SST. Every school typically has a school psychologist, a school social worker, a school counselor. Um, the schools that we are in, Building Brighter Futures, we have a social-emotional coordinator. So they're there to bridge that gap, Maybe they're catching the kiddos that need a little extra support before it turns into a clinical support. Okay. Um, And that person is able to push into a classroom, take over that entire classroom. And the entire time, we're talking about social-emotional learning, which involves competency. So we're talking self-awareness, social awareness, relationship skills, self-regulation skills.
1: There's a lot there. Yes. Um, So we want to... Like you said, there's early intervention with the kids, and then there's what happens in the aftermath. Mm-hmm. The aftermath. What might be going on with a child who lived through what happened at South Park or Lockport? Again, mm-hmm. nothing finally happened, thank goodness, mm-hmm. but yet scary situations. Very scary.
0: Absolutely. And again, I thank you for bringing that up. It's not just the kids. Um, we're seeing it in adults, too, right? We're expecting our teachers to just put on uh, called armoring up and just go in and teach, despite the fact that they might have concerns about their own kiddos. Um, but with the kids, they'll show you before they tell you. And what I mean is observing that behavior. You will see a kid that's normally, say, sitting with a group during lunch. They're withdrawing. Mm. You'll start to see them have like a... Um, a response a, it's basically a trauma response right where they're kind of jumpy all the time um, Dr. Nadine Burke really talks well about this with tra- um, the ACEs adverse childhood experiences um, if your mind is constantly on hey a bear walked in this room that's normal to have a response where you might run <laughs> you know <laughs> right, you're, right, you're preparing right. your body for that but right. what if you're always in that state of mind Right. Because right now it's a collective trauma. They they were not well before coming out. You know, we're not we're still in the pandemic. Right. And then on top of that, you have the compound trauma of everything going on in the community. So that shared universal value of wanting safety. And I'm not talking just physical safety. I'm talking psychological safety. Our kiddos are um, sensitive to that right now. So it's about being able to pay attention to their behaviors, those nonverbal behaviors that are truly communicating, hey, I don't feel safe in this space. School is supposed to be safe, and I'm not sure. And the, you'll see that in the kid's behavior.
1: How can that even be changed, it mm-hmm. seems? How I mean, obviously, again, you've, you're you briefed and in, in you're an your expert in, in counseling, but how can you take, a whether it's a child or an adult, mm-hmm. that is dealing and focused and, you know, obsessing perhaps to a certain extent on that type of situation, a dangerous situation, a traumatic situation, how can we get somebody out of that?
0: Right. So we first need to validate how they're feeling, right? We need to create a space where they can come and talk to said counselor. Um, Maybe, you know, you notice a pattern in behavior change and that kiddo gets special permission to go see the counselor, the school counselor or school psychologist if they have time. Um, we're thankful again for our partnerships in certain schools where they already know that we're there and then we have that extended learning program because the kids going throughout the day and then they have this open space you know so to speak right and after school you get that academic support and the mental health support at the same time Um, during the day we are relying on the teachers to tell us to say hey did you notice this? Is it a pattern? Um, is the kid always just going a wall? Maybe walking right out of your classroom. More than one person's going to notice that. Sure. So that is your in to say, hey come, come. let's have lunch together. Uh, what's going on? Tell me about how you're feeling. Is it the slamming of the doors that's triggering you? Does that remind you of something that, you know, a trauma response, or I'm sorry, trauma history that happened before? Let's talk about that. Let's work through that together. Same thing with the faculty. Maybe um, a teacher has gone to an administrator and the administrator can have that conversation with us to say, What additional supports can we provide so that they have the professional development, but it's in a way that helps them teach and process their feelings?
1: Like you said, the the pandemic is its own pile of issues, and kids are still dealing with that in a lot of ways. It almost sounds like a place like South Park or any place that had to deal with this kind of incident – is there enough help? Is there enough people that can can get on board and, and, and sure. help these kids out?
0: I mean, um, the more, the better. Sure. <laughs> right. Um, we we are even expanding. You, you see that the need is there. They want to intervene early. They want to catch it before. Again, it's clinical. Um, but there is like a third of adults that are already avoiding spaces, events, a third of adults. a third of adults are already saying, I no longer want to go here or I no longer want to be involved with this event. So if that's happening with adults, you can imagine what's happening with our young people. They are constantly planning their escape route, going into school, going into you know an event that once brought them joy. That is the mental state of our kids right now.
1: We are talking with uh, Cambria Daniels of uh, Best Self, and uh, she is the uh, project director for Mental Health Awareness Training. Talk to us about the training that you provide. Sure. Uh, I mean— there's obviously, again, a lot there. That all being stated, though, give us an idea what. I might see if I was, say, a teacher or maybe even a substitute teacher at a school, Mm -hmm. what I might uh, learn.
0: Absolutely. So I, again, am so thankful for the opportunity to come into schools, to work with faculty. Um, Some agencies reach out to me. We're talking, I just train like People, Inc., you know, um, faith-based organizations because that is a protective factor, especially if you are spiritual in any way. You might want to go to your um, faith-based organization, but are they equipped with the language, with the um, knowledge, to notice those behavior changes. So I am a triple certified as an instructor in the mental health first aids. That's one of the um the higher requests that yeah. I get. Mental because again, you know, uh, it's a three-year certification for the adult learner. Same thing for the teenage version. But that is helping you recognize those early signs and symptoms. Maybe this is turning into a mental health challenge, therefore crisis. So um, am I aware of the behavior, standard behaviors of, you know, someone that's not quite coping well? Um, that is a full-on day of training. So some agencies decide to split it. For example, the adult mental health First Aid is an eight-hour training. I can come to the location or I can invite you into our training facility of Best Self Behavioral Health. I've also worked with the schools. They have parent center hours, which are usually later in the day. We're talking starting at 4, going until upwards of 7.30 on two nights a week Mm. because they want to give parents as much support as possible. That training can be split into two days. Ideally, you know, if the parent center is open Monday and Wednesday, I can come in Monday and Wednesday. But they sit with me. It's highly interactive. Um, It's based off of data from the National Council on Mental Wellbeing. So it's a legit certification, Hmm. all evidence-based, wonderful curricula that actually updates. So even me as an instructor, I have to stay um, up to date Whenever any language changes, any stats change, um, and that requires an additional, like, module that I would have to, you know, refresh on. Youth Mental Health First Aid actually has adapted for indigenous populations and rural communities. Yes, so anyone, any adult working with adolescents, we're thinking, like, say, 15 to 19, um, that's a wonderful certification for the adult because, hey, What our kiddos are dealing with is different than working with an adult. The adult's behavior or cognition might be, is going to be drastically different than a teenager. Um, So, those trainings are, you know, again, highly requested. In a perfect world, I could come in and train teenagers only in the teen mental health first aid. That is a three-year certification for the teenager. Are teens
1: taking advantage of that? Teens
0: are absolutely taking advantage. Um, I just got a, a huge cohort at Bennett High School, for example. But again, the admin believe in it. They see the difference. They said they told me they saw the difference within a school year that the kids are behaving and responding and using the language with each other. They are an internal support system. So what if I did all of sophomores and then those sophomores have that certification year after year, and they know. They know how to connect their peers with a responsible adult. They know who their student support team is. They know where their office is. They know that they can go see said individual if they're dealing with mental health challenges. In addition to those certifications, I also have um, trauma-informed care and safe spaces. Again, we all bring a little something to the table, right? And what if you have a trauma history, That's going to affect how you interact with your colleague, with a student, um, anywhere in the community, right? So that's a, it's not a certification, but you do get a cert, like think um, professional development credits for that. Um, I wrap around and put in the safe spaces because how do we actually execute the care? Now that you're trauma informed, how are you applying it? Right. So I give them a little tidbit of that to say, "Hey, are you accounting for the psychological safety? Did you know that, you know, a kiddo was triggered by the door slamming because in their environment maybe they're around gunshots and the gunshots remind them of the door slam?" Mm. Right? Did you ever consider that perspective? Um, discipline with dignity is heavy in the schools because we always think punitive um, with behavior, but sometimes there's something else going on. The classic bottom of the glacier, right? right? The kiddo showing you anger, but maybe they are embarrassed. They're showing you aggression, but maybe they are feeling um, learned helplessness. That's a thing, right? So we have Learned, to f- help- learned helplessness. helplessness. Yes. So maybe that's how they feel because they feel like there's nothing else that they could do um, in their environment, home, community, and school. So Discipline with Dignity is more about structure and consistency. That's what our kiddos need. Because if you can develop that, then they can independently have those um, coping skills and self-regulation skills personally without you in the room.
1: It's interesting you mentioned how you have to stay up to date on data and statistics. Yes. So I'm curious what kind of statistics and data you, you are made available to and how it you know pertains to, you know, this type of work
0: oh absolutely so again with the trauma-informed care you know there's several agencies outside of my own agency that you know we just constantly are pulling that data wherever we can get it honestly um, to make sure that our professional developments are up-to-date it's kind of double because the National Council works with like Johns Hopkins when they originated the uh, curricula. Um, they the Teen Mental Health First aid is actually in conjunction with the National Council and Lady Gaga's organization Born This Way Foundation. That's how it came to be. The teen Mental Health First aid actually only started in two thousand eighteen.
1: So it was, a, it was a private entity that made yes. this a, a reality.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, again, it's, a I think, a portal. And if anything changes out there, you know, I as an instructor and many instructors, there's national instructors as well. You have to go on and make sure that your a little quiz, you know, um, make sure that you are up to date with the recent data. That, so that way you're providing and presenting it in the, mo- the most effective way.
1: Interesting about a little quiz that that caught my attention. So maybe if it's possible, take us through what you might be as you're applying this training and then, like you said, quizzing back to a certain extent. What might you be asking? Let's say it was me. You know, Mm -hmm. know, what you might 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 come up in that question and answer session.
0: Sure, sure. So um, there's actually a template that they give you um, and it's scenario based. So after you say, sit through one of my trainings, did it sink in? Like, how would you apply it? Which I love because it's similar to what I had to design with the trauma informed care safe spaces. We want to make sure that we're showing an increase in mental health literacy. So just a 10 question uh, final exam, okay. right? <laughs> and you're applying these action steps. So think CPR first aid, AED certification, you know the procedures. You don't have to be an EMT right. to be certified in CPR. Right. But you know that it's a certain amount of compressions and breaths, and you know if you're using an AED, you got to charge it, turn it on, et cetera. Same concept. But for the mind. So with mental health first aid and um, youth mental health first aid there's an action plan. it's called algae. So are we assessing the behavior? Are we listening non-judgmentally? Are we encouraging self-help and support? right? Are we giving reassurance? It's not our opinion. it's about giving facts. You want to instill hope by providing information. And our participants have to know that. So on that um, ten-question assessment, it might ask you, "What are the steps of algae?" Right? It might ask you, "Hey, here's this." And it might give you a scenario, and you have to choose, "How would you respond as a mental health first aider?" Um, and based off of those answers, you would essentially get certified or not.
1: Non-judgmental. There's mm-hmm. a there's a, uh, a word, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we how do we go about separating? and understanding that in ourselves about Making decisions non-judgmental, right? I mean, there's so much in there when it comes yes. to our learned biases.
0: Beautiful question, because I get that a lot in the training, um, and that's something that we as adult learners really struggle with. That is one of the key components of that action plan, um, because again, we want to um, provide the answer. You know, especially when we're talking with adolescents, we want to come in and save the day, right? Like, well, I experienced it, so this is how I got through it. Gotcha. And what I love, and I cannot coin. This this term it was a national trainer in mental health first aid that said we should not should on people we should not should that's a, um, tough, one and to that's break. a tough one to break right <laughs> because again you're bringing your experience and you should right you you might have been through something maybe your culture maybe your background to say i am equipped to handle said situation but we have to understand that these kiddos are growing up in a very different time and even if you went through something similar it is not the same and that's where that non judgmental listening. You can be supportive by sitting in silence, asking for permission. May I just sit with you? Because the kid might be on 10. And our goal, right, as a mental health first aider is to maybe get them down to five. Because at five, we can have a conversation versus trying to say, oh, just calm down. At what point, even as an adult, if someone told you, oh, just calm down, does that help you calm down? Probably not. No, <laughs> exactly. I think
1: that would be a trigger. <laughs> exactly.
0: So it's just being mindful of our language, right? Um, even our proximity. Um, we have to understand that, think of everything going on, maybe getting a little too close to a young person or even another adult, that could be triggering. So that, believe it or not, goes in line with non judgmental listening because you can have a conversation um, at six feet away. You can. Right. You know, um, and then asking for permission, may I sit with you? That all of that is saying, I see you, I understand that you're dealing with something, and I'm here to support you. Even if it's not right now, maybe you don't want to talk to me right this minute, just know that I'm here. That is non judgmental as well.
1: Cambria Daniels is with us from Best Self Behavioral Health. She is the uh, project director for their mental health awareness training and uh, kind enough to come in and give us some perspective on these. Recent swatting incidents that we've heard about, of course, around uh, Western New York, around the state, around the country for that as well, and trying to get an idea of how students, teachers, administrators, and parents are reacting to these things and also uh, how to perhaps help as well. Success stories. I was really, uh, when you mentioned what's going on at Bennett, that how the administrators say they've seen this remarkable improvement. and might be like the best piece of news I think I've heard in a long time uh, from anything, especially when we deal with such difficult issues. But what about that? What Maybe take me through some people, whether they're kids or administrators or parents, where you saw you have seen that kind of progress, or perhaps people you've trained have seen that type of progress. What can you tell us? Can you give us some examples? And
0: you know, that is the the best that I call it planting the seed, right? You might not see it immediately. You might, um, I might come in, and provide the training, and not come back. You know, after the series is complete. Um, but it's hearing that feedback from the people that work with these kids on a daily basis. I've had teachers say that, saying, "Hey, you know, usually a kiddo would, you know, agitate another kiddo, and after your training, I notice." They really backed off or they changed their language. Um, seeing them interact in the hallway is completely different. Um, that is truly the best piece of this, right? And the fact i'll I'll pick on Bennett because they come back year after year. okay so um <laughs> even before this school year, the year before that, I came in and did the series with um, a batch of kiddos and they immediately contacted me in the summer to say, so. We want you to come back and do, you know, however many classes. Right. Um, So they see it, too. That means that that's affecting their suspensions. That means the suspensions are probably decreasing the office discipline referrals, the ODRs, which it goes right into the system. So even if a kiddo was to transfer schools, that record goes with them. Mm -hmm. So they must be seeing a decrease there. That's where the data is driving the decision. Obviously, uh, maybe even the calls, the crisis calls from SST, because see, I'm not there. I'm not housed at the school. So maybe SST, student support, are no longer getting those calls over the walkie-talkie. Maybe we're getting a decrease in fighting, right? The proof is in the behavior. (laughs) So something is working and it's resonating with those kiddos that's lasting the whole school year.
1: Something we wish we didn't have to predict this, but we're going to take the prediction that swatting incidents aren't going to go away anytime soon.
0: Unfortunately, um, people like to elicit the fear, um, and it is an unfortunate circumstance that some people enjoy doing that to other people because we're already in a state of high anxiety and depression, (laughs) right? right? Whether people acknowledge it or not, we're all dealing with that collective trauma, and people are preying on that. Unfortunately, they realize that say schools for example, have a certain per, uh, procedure. You already have your fire drills, you have your lockdown, your shelter in place, your lock-in um, and it's fun for people unfortunately to make those bogus calls.
1: And there's probably really no way to alter the way we go about lockdown drills and things like that. They have to be
0: they have to have serious, mm-hmm. they've
1: got to be definite, there's no other way to do it. But yet it, it's got to leave a, a, a taste of trauma, I would Absolutely. say. Absolutely.
0: And that's where I say, how about we have these conversations before, after consistently, right? It's the community. So it's not just in school. We need to have these conversations at home um, and be careful with the timing of said, uh, mm. you know, conversation. So it doesn't have to be after it happened. It's like, hey, run that down for me. What is a lockdown drill? You know, um, think of a school year, right? A traditional school year. We're talking September to June, nine months. I'm talking space it out like three times within a school year, not every week, not every month. Just having a conversation with your young person to say, talk to me about, you know, what does that drill look like? What happens? What are the rendezvous points? You know, when you're outside and stuff like that also being proactive on their technology. If you have kids that ha- and you're giving them cell phones, make sure the cell phone is fully charged. Maybe send them with a charger and a backup, uh, the battery pack.
1: And you mentioned cell phones. I did think of this earlier. The amount of information that comes into kids all the time, it's got to Multiply the impact of reception incidents.
0: Mm -hmm. Information flooding, right? Um, And this is something, a conversation that, because I provided direct service and I would candidly have this conversation. Your diet is not just what you consume, it is who you interact with, what you read, um, and what you expose yourself to, whether it's social media or the news. You can turn it off, <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. And that is a self-discipline that, you know, it has to be taught. We have to model it as adults, right? It's natural for us to want that instant gratification. We want to know. We want to know right now, right? But how about you set yourself up for, say, your slumber and shut it off at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock. Whatever it is, be consistent, right? Um, think 9/11, the Boston Marathon. You can, see, you, I bet you money that you know exactly where you were, what you were doing when you got that news. Right. Think of the way it was delivered to you. I candidly remember the footage. Of, it looked like as if multiple planes were hitting. Right. And I'm like, I thought there were only two towers. So you right, know, if right, that's happening right. over and over again, and you already have a trauma history, that has you on level ten. Mm. You are scared. You don't know if it's happening in live time, etc right? Now, a lot of our kids, you know, maybe, and I'm talking younger, they're in an environment where the parent just wants to know right here, right now, and the news is just on all day. What if it's just Mm -hmm. on all day? Again, we have to model the behavior that we want. So maybe we turn it off or slow it down or regulate that information the best way that we can you know and therefore you're teaching your kiddos like hey you can do this too independently you do not have to be on social media all day and all night
1: We talked about giving some ideas for parents how to talk to their student what about a um, mental self-check for adults what what should we be looking at for ourselves that
0: Absolutely. um, And I spoke to briefly is that third of Americans. adults, yes. right? right. That's so really I guess a happening. lot of us should be looking. So yeah. but no, like seriously, you know, if you're, you know, being triggered by something, you know, a event, a location or what have you, it's like really take a look at that. What are you feeling when you are either preparing to go to said location or when you're there? What does it um, bring about for you? And know that there's resources all around. Best self behavioral health is one of the largest in Western New York. Okay, well, you can walk right into our clinics and see someone. So if it is to that level, maybe it's choice to go see a professional and talk about it. Um, Again, back to like a school or an agency setting. Um, Are we being intentional with our professional development? Um, I'm going to offer myself up because right now I can come out to anyone within Erie and Niagara County and provide those professional developments. I've had people circle back. They've taken the trauma-informed care safe spaces and they saw the slate of mental health trainings and came back for the youth mental health first aid cert. So there are options all around because we have to think of it at every component. How are the agencies dealing with this, providing supports for the adults? Because even you working with another adult, it's key to have that self-check, to have that type of self-awareness. But then how are we also being supportive for our coworkers? Um, Again, in a school setting, you have adults working with young people. How are you checking on yourself so that you know what your triggers are, so you know what, maybe you have to gain coping skills, maybe what worked for you prior to the pandemic no longer works and it's time to open your lens and see another perspective and say hey i'm going to i'm going to try meditation i've never done it before never thought i'd like it and i'm going to try it this way because someone presented it to me in a different way
1: and then uh, finally your training is evolving your your uh accreditations are evolving you it, it sounds like this field is evolving as we speak as well Looking at a world that can be pretty scary, I think, I think if we looked at public opinion polls, Mm -hmm. there'd be not necessarily optimistic uh, perspectives moving forward. With all that in the foreground there for you, are you hopeful that all of what you're learning and your colleagues are learning and how this is being implemented that these things can be overcome?
0: I do. I I truly believe that with the proper supports, um, and again, that could be your own resources, tapping into what works for you. Again, I could say meditation works for me, and you're like, yeah, no. Does meditation work for you? It does. It does. Um, But again, you have to be mindful of when you're doing it, right? It doesn't have to be a long, extensive process. It could be even in your car. You never know, right? Um, But you got to try something. You have to try something. And saying all that to say, I think that the more supports that schools, agencies, seek out, the more preventative we can be. That is the key point. It's, we don't want to be reactive in a world because that's what we do anyway. Mm -hmm. We react, we react. How about responding? Because there's a difference. Trying to catch it early, trying to um, instate a practice right? It's okay to say that you're not okay. It is okay to say, hey, you know what? I think I am triggered right now or I need to take a break. It's okay to do those things and be open to learn. I am seeing a lot of agencies saying, oh, we need to really look at our practices and how are we supporting our staff, therefore supporting our young people.
1: Cambria Daniels is with Best Self Behavioral Health. She is the uh, project director for their mental health awareness training. Cambria... Thanks very much for joining us.
0: My pleasure. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Buffalo What's Next. More to come right after this on WBFO. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is
2: WBFO, your NPR station. If you didn't know, April was Fair Housing Month 50-some years ago. The Fair Housing Act was was passed in 1968, and as such, there's no better time than, than now to speak with Mr. Stephen Hogsma. He's an education manager for home housing opportunities made equal. To my knowledge... It's the only agency in Western New York addressing the very crucial uh, need of educating tenants, educating prospective homeowners, landlords in our area. We have Stephen here with us today. Welcome, Stephen.
3: Uh, Thanks for having me.
2: Thank you for being here. There's no better time than now to to have this conversation. Just of where we are in the the housing market uh, situation, scenario, crisis, I don't like to throw that word around. But we're getting there. Uh, rates are, interest rates are steadily climbing um, with no end in, in sight. And, and rent seems to be climbing just as much with, with wages kind of st- still staying at almost the levels that they, they've been before. So you're getting a lot of uh, individuals that are facing hurdles and obstacles to, to buy a home or simply have a place to, to reside in. So your group directly deals with that. Can you give me a, a bit of an overview of what what Home is and, and their their mission?
3: Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, first of all, I I don't think I don't think there's any problem using the word crisis. I think that it certainly is a crisis in the housing market right now. Um, but yeah, at Home we we provide uh, fair housing services in a few different ways. So first of all, we uh, help people who experience housing discrimination. That's uh, really our focus. It's it's what our organization was founded on. Uh, 60 years ago, so this is our, our 60th year um, and we've, we've focused the whole time on preventing housing discrimination and helping people who do experience it. We also educate the public about fair housing law because, you know, if people don't know their rights, they're not going to recognize when those rights are being violated. Mm-hmm. So we want tenants to know what discrimination is and how to recognize it if it happens to them also for them to be able to recognize if their landlord isn't holding up their end of the deal, if their landlord isn't doing things uh, the legal way. We also educate landlords, though, because we want to make sure that people who are trying to be good landlords have the information they need to be able to do that. So we also help uh, tenants who have other questions, not regarding housing discrimination, but have other questions about their housing situation. They want to know If what their landlord is doing is legal or not, we can advise them on those types of things. And similarly for landlords, if they have a problem, they they want to know, you know, hey, my tenant is doing this thing that the lease says they're not supposed to do. How do I address this? We can help them with that as well. And then finally, we also have a mobility program where we help people who have Section 8 vouchers and who have children in their households uh, move to well-resourced neighborhoods, where they want to move, but uh, maybe there are some barriers to that for them, and so we try to remove those barriers and uh, make the move that they want to make possible for them.
2: Well, as someone who just recently went through the home purchasing process, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming for from someone like me with with uh, seemingly adequate means, and I can't imagine those that are that that are struggling just to to make ends meet now trying to find sustainable living space. You mentioned in our conversation before the interview, you're you had aspirations of, of being an educator. And now, I mean, you're doing just that, I think, in, in a much more resourceful way. I mean, the the youth need their the good educators, but so do the, the adults that are that are navigating this very convoluted and, and complicated ecosystem of, of real estate.
3: Yeah, I mean, there is nothing more basic to someone's ability to live the life they want to live than their housing. It's It's really the foundation that everything else is built on. It determines where your kids are going to go to school. It determines how hard it is for you to go to a grocery store and buy fresh produce. It determines so many things, but there's not a lot of information about what you can do, what your options are, what you can do if a landlord isn't providing you with a safe house to live in. And so that's what we that's what we focus on is trying to get that information to people because you know really everybody needs that information. Some people may enjoy where they live and that's awesome. We 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 prefer it when people don't need our services, but regardless of whether someone needs our help now, it's still good for them to have that information in case, you know, something goes goes awry in the in the future in their housing situation.
2: Where are you finding the the, the largest number of, of individuals coming from in the city of Buffalo in the Western New York area? Uh, where where are the, the the areas that need to be that we should be addressing housing disc- discrimination? Uh, because correct me if I'm wrong, I was researching Home and I saw that in the last year we had 415 complaints issued for, for housing discrimination to Home, and that's that's second most to 432, right in 1984. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: I mean it's it's a problem everywhere. There's no there's no zip code where there's right. no housing discrimination, unfortunately. Um, and even those complaints, uh, there's a lot of evidence that uh, the majority of housing discrimination goes unreported. And so, unfortunately, even those 400 plus discrimination complaints that we received in 2022, it's likely just the tip of the iceberg. Um, but as far as where we're seeing it. Uh, it's basically you know housing problems and poverty rates are very highly correlated. And mm-hmm. so the the areas where poverty rates are highest are also the areas where people are struggling the most. they're They're struggling the most to to pay rent, uh, and they're struggling the most to find adequate housing that is in good condition and where they're not experiencing discrimination when they're trying to find a place to live. Uh, and so unfortunately, A lot of the problems in the housing market are are concentrated in the same zip codes where uh, people are facing a lot of other problems as well.
2: And unlike other big cities, per se, our our friends down in New York City, that where there are rent control barriers or legislations there, we don't have that here. Yeah, that's right. Are you seeing landlords kind of taking way too much advantage of tenants?
3: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I definitely don't want to you know, throw all landlords under the bus right. uh, and, and disparage landlords as a group uh, because there are a lot of landlords who are trying to uh, invest in their community and are trying to work with their tenants to make sure that things are affordable for them and making sure that they can make rent. But there are uh, landlords out there who are a little bit more unscrupulous and are definitely taking advantage of, you know, inflation is in the news, so I'm going to raise the rent by as much as I feel like and blame the economy on it when it may not be necessary, especially if they're not even using the the additional rent to reinvest it in the property Mm -hmm. and make sure that it's up to code and is a safe place for people to live. Um, So it's, it's not everyone for sure by a long shot, uh, but there there are enough people who are doing that kind of thing that it is a serious problem.
2: And it's great that you all offer I, I guess a, a, you label it fair housing 101. Not so much just for for the tenants but also for the landlords because as you mentioned there are individuals that are are decent landlords They might have gotten into into uh, an investment property now recently with with in the last few years but just they just don't know how to be all the resources available to them as landlord which you all also tackle.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, being a landlord is essentially running a small business and there's lots of rules and you're not required to learn the rules before becoming a landlord. So we want to make sure that that information is available to people who are trying to do the right thing and trying to be good landlords. And so we offer education for both landlords and tenants um, about fair housing law so that, you know, both parties understand what the law requires of them And what their options are if, um, you know, things aren't going the way they want them to.
2: I'm here with Mr. Stephen Hagsma. He is the education manager for Home Housing Opportunities Made Equal. Uh, The website's homeny.org. And Stephen, in these lessons, these training programs that you offer landlords and tenants, what are you finding to be the largest blind spots? Where where, Where are tenants and landlords Coming to you and saying, "I didn't know this. This is this is news to me."
3: Uh, a lot of the most common things that both both landlords and tenants don't know are things that um, were changed at the state level in New York in 2019. Um, the state passed a, a huge uh, new uh, landlord-tenant bill called the uh, Housing Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act. Um, so that was in 2019, and it made a lot of changes. And then obviously 2020, we all know what happened. And so I think that uh, the learning curve got pushed back a little bit Mm. because of the pandemic, because these new laws had just gone into effect and suddenly nobody was thinking about them. And so there are still a lot of people, you know, almost four years after these laws went into effect who don't know that, that they're in effect. And so one of the most common things is source of income discrimination. So At the state level now, it's illegal for landlords to refuse to accept Section 8 vouchers or other kinds of rental assistance. Um, Basically, any lawful source of income has to be considered when a landlord is is seeing if someone meets their income requirements. And a lot of tenants with Section 8 vouchers or other kinds of non-wage income that they use to help pay the rent don't know that when a landlord says they don't take Section 8 that that's illegal. And some landlords do know it and are just going to refuse to accept it until someone forces them not to, Mm. which we are trying to force them not to. (laughs) Um, And others just genuinely don't know that this law was passed. And they have been refusing to accept vouchers for decades. And it's been legal Mm. in a lot of places, but it's no longer legal. And so some people haven't caught on to that yet. Other things are surrounding evictions uh, and security deposits. So Like The timelines for those changed. So, for example, when someone moves out uh, of a place, the landlord only has 14 days to return their security deposit to them uh, or explain exactly what repairs they use the deposit for. If the landlord misses that timeline, tenants can take the landlord to small claims court and get their deposit back. But a lot of people don't know that. Because you know the law is passed, and it doesn't mean that everybody immediately <laughs> understands what, what's There's going no on. Proclamation, now. yeah, exactly. And so we're trying to make sure that as many people know about those things, both sides, landlords
2: and tenants, as as we can. Well, it's knowledge is power, right? And and if you don't know uh, what you don't know, then then you can't fight for your rights that that are available to everyone, much more so the individuals that that desperately need it. Stephen, as far as these these services. How often are they offered how do we sign up for training yeah for
3: for landlords we offer a monthly uh, landlord training webinar over zoom Uh, we also have an on-demand one so if the the time that the live webinar is scheduled for doesn't work for you um you can you know watch it on your own time and then we we provide a certificate of completion and some other resources including a sample lease agreement that you can use or modify, a sample rental application, things like that. Uh, so it's a great resource for landlords and um, they can they can register for that on our website for tenants. Uh, we partner with other organizations in the community. And you know I I go to those organizations and talk about fair housing uh, to to people there. Uh, and anyone landlords or tenants if they have a specific question, they're always welcome to give us a call or or send us an email. Uh, we'll do our best to let them know what their options are in that situation.
2: If I'm a landlord or, or a homeowner, and what are, what are really some of the local laws that I should I should know to better serve myself?
3: Yeah, so the probably the most important one is the source of income discrimination protection that I that I mentioned. So that's actually been in effect in the city of Buffalo since 2006. Uh, Erie County has its own fair housing law that was passed in 2018. That also has source of income protections. And then, like I mentioned, it was added at the state level in 2019. So, at the time that the Erie County law was passed, that was we were we were very excited about that. It was a huge deal, and it still is. It's we still value it immensely. Um, but fortunately, a lot of the things that were in that 2018 law were added at the state level the following year. Um, so yeah, there's most of the protections that are available to tenants locally are statewide protections now, which is great.
2: Does this home offer anything in terms of legal aid or representation?
3: So we provide paralegal counseling in general. And so if we're able to help someone resolve the situation without resorting to legal action, we try to do that as much as we can. Whether that's know, mediating a disagreement between a landlord and a tenant, you know, writing a letter on a tenant's behalf to the landlord explaining, we understand what's what is going on, please be advised that this is what the law says, etc. And often that that's enough, because the majority of landlords are trying to do the right thing. And they there's no requirement that they already know what the right thing is. Mm -hmm. And so often, if we let them know, hey, this is what the law says, They'll say, oh, I didn't realize that. And they'll make it right with the tenant, which is awesome. That's our goal Mm -hmm. is to avoid having to go through the legal process because while it is a great resource, it takes a long time. And so it's not going to get someone the solution they want and deserve in a time frame that is really going to work for them. But if someone does need legal assistance, we have partners that we work with who um, we can refer people to represent them um, in some sort of legal action, whether it is bringing a housing discrimination case or or something
2: else. You mentioned briefly landlords simply not knowing or having a requirement to be a landlord. Is there any certification involved to be a landlord? Is there any that that would benefit them to have?
3: Uh, so the city of Buffalo does have a rental registry, um, which landlords are supposed to to register for. Uh, there's not a lot of resources uh, associated with that, but it, it it is the one that I'm aware of that exists, although it probably could be a little bit more robust, robust. in terms of <laughs> providing resources and education and at least, hey, here's what's out there. You can go find this information uh, once once people register with that. Uh,
2: Is Erie County uh, tackling that, the the, the lack of knowledge in in providing housing or or for the tenants themselves? I mentioned up top that you were the only agency in Western New York tackling this. Is there anything in the state or county level that?
3: Yeah, so one way we work with the county is that um, the various municipalities in the county uh, are required to designate uh, a municipal employee as the affirmative action officer. And then we partner with the county to provide fair housing education to that person. And then they're kind of the liaison to their community as far as fair housing is concerned. And they can uh, have access to our brochures and stuff that they can provide in municipal buildings. And then if someone in their community brings a concern to them, they can have the knowledge to say, hey, uh, this is that's not right and they can either send them to us at home or they can help that person resolve the, the issue in that way. So that's that's one way that we work with the county uh,
2: on these issues. Stephen, one thing we we ask a lot of our guests is, what's next for Buffalo? That's the name of the show. What do we need to address as a community to better suit our individuals looking for fair housing?
3: I think that one big aspect of it, at least from home's perspective, is continued enforcement of fair housing laws and preventing landlords from being able to get away with discrimination. Because if they believe that they, you know, the unscrupulous landlords, if they believe that they can get away with something, they're likely to continue trying to engage in that. So that's one really big aspect. But another is is affordability. You know, rent is is so high and it has, the the growth in rent has completely outstripped any growth in wages, if there has been any, which I'm not sure that there has, and it makes it difficult for for everyone the affordability problem because people in the middle of the income distribution they're forced to pay a higher percentage of their income toward the rent, but they may not want to, and so they may, you know, take one step down the rung as far as you know the housing, you know luxury to to basic, they might mm-hmm. take one step down to save a little bit of money. But then that means that somebody who maybe could barely afford that, they're pushed one step farther down because that housing is no longer available to them. And so the squeeze really affects everybody and it makes it more difficult for people to achieve home ownership, which even though interest rates are crazy right now, it can still lock you into a, a set rate that you're mm-hmm. paying monthly And if rents continue to go up, uh, you know, achieving homeownership through a mortgage is still likely to save you money, uh, but it's so difficult to achieve that when housing prices in that market are also, you know, sky high. Uh, And so unfortunately, that's an area where we at home don't have much power. So we really focus on the other aspect of it where we can uh, make a difference, although um, there's plenty of room for government bodies to step in and and decide to do something about the affordability.
2: Stephen, besides the website, anywhere else that, that uh, any inquiring individuals can seek out help from home? Any other upcoming events or anything that you'd like to promote for home?
3: Yeah, we have a few events coming up. We are hosting a health fair in June um, at our, our primary office at 1542 Main Street. It's at the corner of Main and Ferry. Uh, so we have some organizations coming in. Um, I believe we're also having a, a blood drive as part of that. Um, and then in August, we're having a community barbecue where people can come. Um, I believe we're probably going to have some school supplies to give away as well as food for for attendees. Uh, so those are some community events we've got coming up this summer.
2: Stephen, is there anything else you'd like to impart to our audience? Anything that, uh, that comes to mind?
3: I just encourage anybody who has questions about, about their housing situation to contact us because you know even if it's not something we're able to help you with directly, we may be able to uh, you know, let you know the resources that are available to, to help with that situation. And when it comes to housing discrimination, you don't need to know for sure that you experienced discrimination to report it. You know, we'll take reports, we'll take them seriously, we'll investigate them, and if we find that discrimination did occur, or was likely to have occurred, then we'll, we'll help the person who is the victim of that discrimination uh, try to achieve the outcome that they want. But again, it's, it's not necessary to have like that, that text message that says, we don't take Section 8. It's helpful, but it's not necessary. And so we really encourage people to you know, report discrimination if you believe that, that you've experienced it.
2: Well, what you all are doing at home is is phenomenal to to educate. Uh, like I said before, I wish I had more knowledge myself, and I think I, I think I knew enough going in into the, the process, but uh, you can never learn enough. You seem to be well versed in all things home equity, and and I appreciate taking the time today to educate our audience. I said before you wanted to be a teacher; you're you're doing that right now. You're teaching our audience uh, something very pertinent and important. So. Thank you, Stephen. Stephen Hogsma from Home Housing Opportunities Made Equal. Thank you so much for joining us today on Buffalo What's Next.
3: Yeah, thank you for having me. It was it
2: was great. Thank you for listening to Buffalo What's Next. You're listening to WBFO and WBFO HD One Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.